No. What's your least favorite scary movie? And if you love her, love her, she will be a little angel angel in your heart. You've got to push it, push it for her love. And then forever, ever, she will be a sweet angel of your heart to be there together. <laughs> Welcome to What's Your Least Favorite Scary Movie, the podcast where we talk about the good, the bad, the ugly, and the absurd in all of our favorite and least favorite scary movies. Because we believe every horror movie rightfully has its fan base. Even if we don't always get it. My name is Travis. My name is Jesse. And today we have a very special episode because we're talking... Perfect Blue with our very special guest, Robert Atone. Welcome, Robert. Yay! Welcome back, Hello. Robert. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk about a terrifying movie that's altogether too realistic to be an anime. Uh, yes. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> very, very excited. Um, yeah. And thank you again. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Um, we have had this plan since like November. Yeah. But, um, this is ultimately because you have another release that has come out since we last talked. Uh, yeah, the the vile thing we created is um, it's getting a lot of love, which is cool. Um, there's been some interesting things that have happened as a result of it, but uh, I can't talk a whole lot about those. But like it's uh, we hit our second sales milestone within a month of the book being out, which was nice. crazy. Awesome. Yeah, thank you. My publisher texted me and literally my my publisher's funny. He's he's an older dude, and he texted me just the the emoji with the sunglasses. <laughs> Wait, how old like, is this person? Because like <laughs> I, I just like that as like a way of just like you did good, bud. <laughs> I, I you know, and so I asked him. I was like, "What does that mean?" And he's like, "We just passed our second sales milestone. Don't say anything uh, publicly yet." I was like, "Oh, uh, okay, that's <laughs> so awesome." Yeah, so I was happy about it, and um, you know I'm still happy. But like, yeah, people seem to be liking it. It's about um, a young couple who decide to have a kid for all the wrong reasons, and everything oh, goes really well. That well. never happens in real life. Oh, totally, no, never. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, everything goes wrong uh, that could possibly go wrong, and there's all kinds of spooky stuff that happens. There's like it's sort of like a Rosemary's Baby, Silent Hill kind of mix and um people seem to really be you know responding to it which makes me happy it's not really mine anymore now that it's out so uh you know i'm just happy people are picking it up and reviewing and you know good or bad i'm just happy people are giving it a chance yeah that's awesome congratulations thank you thank you i appreciate it so um, while we actually have you here, and before we get into our perfect blue Yeah, talk, we've got a bone to pick. <laughs> yeah, so um, we have been in the middle of we, covering Scream. You, so you've been very vocal about not liking Scream. Yes. Which is fine to each their own, but please, why is it your own? Like, we don't understand. <laughs> yeah, we, we want to know. I, we I want to hear your perspective on this. Don't judge you. We just need to know exactly where you're coming from here. Because, like, these short little snippets are just, like, yeah. little teasers. Like, what the fuck is he thinking? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I, I saw, I've seen the first four of them in theaters, right? And I, you know, was like, okay, fine. The first one, I was only 12, so of course I loved it when I saw it. The second one, I really, really loved. I loved the second one more than the first one because more Lee F. Schreiber for your buck. Uh, count me in. But then, like, I kind of realized that this franchise has nowhere else to go. And when the okay. third one came out and they started 
kind of like mining Nev Campbell's mom, um, that storyline more and all these like little wink, wink bullshit um, that continued into the fourth one. And I guess even into the fifth one, Uh, I haven't seen the sixth one because I'm not going to waste my time. But like (laughs) once the third one kind of came out, I was like this. I mean, this is not great. I've warmed up to it a tiny bit. But I also kind of feel like that Scream is kind of like it's a nice gateway drug for people to get into the genre. And I appreciate that. It's like appreciating Harry Potter for getting kids reading and then discovering other stuff, you know. Um, I don't really like Wes Craven. He's kind of just like a schlocky director who got lucky a couple times. I kind of look at him like that. And I just I don't like... I don't like how it kind of created this weird like meta. I don't like meta horror. I don't like winking at like, oh, you've seen Halloween, right? Wink. And it's like, mm-hmm. no, this is fuck you. I don't want to talk like I don't, <laughs> like I don't want you. I don't want the screenwriters to try to be more clever than the audience, because I think okay. more often than not, like you have to respect your audience more. And I feel like Scream, after the second one specifically, really started disrespecting the audience and really like looking down at them a little bit. Like the idea of like, oh, oh the third one is about like the fifth sequel. Isn't that clever? <laughs> and it's yeah. just not it just doesn't work. And I also just don't find any of the uh, characters in the fourth one, fifth one or the sixth one to be interesting at all. Like, I don't care about Billy Loomis's long lost daughter and his weird like cgi ghost in the back seat of her car i do agree that that it gets a little bit weak trying to find a way to continue it without sydney they uh they really struggled with that in the fifth one i feel like the sixth one is a little bit better but at the same time like it's still like scream for as much as people talk about it being a, a grounded series it definitely does roll around with the dumb shit well, and here's the thing, yeah. and I'm sure we'll talk about this um, later this month and next month where people are like, well, it's so unrealistic that such and such would have survived that. And I'm like, have you seen the way that they consistently fillet dewdrop? Yes. Like, yeah. it, it's right. never been a hundred percent. Like, I think the first one is maybe the most grounded. The first one, yeah. Um, But it's never, like... It's a it's a movie, yeah. right? You know? <laughs> and that's not even the problem. That's not yeah, even, you know, yeah, and yeah. And people survive horrifying stuff all the time. Like guys come back from war ripped to shreds. They get stitched back together. They're good to go, more or less, other than psychological things that the government won't pay for. But you know, <laughs> other than that, like it's fine. But like again, you know, when <sighs> I think the thing that really, uh, first of all, I don't like Jenna Ortega. I know everybody's like, oh, my God, she's so cool. She's Wednesday. Whatever. We already have Arby Plaza. Why do we need another one? We've got one already. So we have um, one in reserve, Robert. <laughs> Arby Plaza goes down. We got Jenna Ortega. Yeah. Right in the room. I like she's that. the yeah, vice president. I, <laughs> she's the vice president of goth wafy actresses. That's cool. Um, yeah. yeah I, I don't know. Listen, we all need role models, okay? And it's good to have backups. <laughs> I just yeah, I don't I don't really like her. I find her incredibly boring and I don't like the most obvious thing to me with Scream 6 was like what they should have done instead of what they did. And I remember I was talking to another horror writer friend of mine and we were like, you know what they should do? And this was before the movie came out. This was before the leaks came out and we came up. We were just riffing 
of like what a Scream 6 should be. And we were like, oh, man, imagine if they do this. That would be really cool if they do this. And then the leaks came out like two months later. And I was like kind of hoping I was like, you know what? Maybe they maybe like, you know, this is one of those ideas that's just in the ether, you know, that they already had because like. I, I a million years ago, I wrote a Spider-Man screenplay just for shits and giggles while I was in college. And the ending to that was Manhattan getting taken over by Mysterio's gas and making people go crazy. Well, fast forward three years later, Batman Begins does the exact same thing. And I was like, <laughs> that's weird. That's really weird. Who can I sue? Um, <laughs> you know, the answer was nobody. But anyway, like it was just one of those things like, OK, well, maybe they'll do this idea. And then they didn't. And then they make handsome Dermot Mulroney spoilers, um, the bad guy. And it's just stupid. Like, it's well, just not. I uh, was somewhat disappointed because I was really hoping to finally see three ghost faces on screen. And we almost got it. But again, Dermot Mulroney wasn't mm-hmm. in the cloak and mask, which yeah. was I was like, because that was probably my biggest complaint with three is having a single ghost face. Part of well, what helps ground a lot of the Scream movies for me is that there's two killers, so yeah. they can work together, so that explains some of the like stuff that you might be like, well, how did you do this and also this? Um, well, so I was like, yay, three ghost faces, except we don't get to see all three of them. Yeah. The only up. way that this works for me is if they do what my friend and I came up with and make Nev Campbell the ultimate one. And make her the bad I, guy. Second I person that we've that. had on here. I that do has not said want that. that. <laughs> I that's it would be it would be great because it would reinvent the whole final girl bullshit that Halloween twenty eighteen did, where it's like, oh, the old one is coming back and gonna kick some ass. Well, no, the old one's gonna come back and kill the fuck out of everybody. Like that's so much more interesting to me than like, oh, here's Sally from Texas Chainsaw for no reason, not killing oh, that other was Yeah, and like, oh, and here's Laurie Strode also not pulling the trigger on Michael Myers and just going to let him burn because it's not like he can't survive that, right? Like, (laughs) if it's Nev Campbell just slaughtering people wholesale, how could they ever stop her? Because there's all the the baggage of the other movies. There's her, like, actual connection to, like, I don't know if Gail dies in the sixth one. I don't remember. But, you know, that's the only way to redeem this franchise is to make the killer Nev Campbell. I think what they should have done with Nev Campbell is in the fifth one, her appearance be Dewey calling her, saying, hey, whatever you do, don't come to Wordsboro, and her say, yeah, duh, and then that's it. That's what I wanted. I wanted her, like, the subversion of the final girl trope for her to be like, yeah, I'm done being almost murdered. I'm going to live my life with my hot husband and cute kids. Okay. See, I like the, yeah, but I'm with you, and that's that's the logical, smart way to do it. But like a really fun, crazy way to do it would be her idea of control would be controlling the narrative and thus preventing it from ever happening again. She has to do it herself. She has to do the killing herself. I just feel like that unravels so much of her development throughout the series, though. Okay. Okay. Well, we just make her okay. crazy. Hold on. Hold on. Okay. <laughs> we got Scream Six coming up way down the line. Okay. We got to get on the perfect blue over. Okay. Here. Okay. <laughs> sorry. I'm I appreciate sorry. all of this. This is all good discussion, but for a different movie. <laughs> Okay. Now let's go talk about another movie before we talk about Perfect Blue. Let's talk about our oh, Jennifer's so body pole. Yes. Well, we got to do this. <laughs> this is part of our outline. Here, okay. We got to talk about last week's movie. Doing the outline. All right. Okay. We talked about Jennifer's body last week, and the poll was which power of a succubus 
would you like to have the most? So starting on Twitter, 12% would like to fly or hover. 47% would prefer quick healing. 29% increased strength. And 12% vomit black spiky goo. And over on Instagram, 11% flying, 58% quick healing, 16% increased strength, and 16% vomit black spiky goo. Hmm. Well, first of all, she doesn't fly. She hovers. That's exactly, yeah. She hovers. <laughs> uh, that's what I would choose. I would choose flying. I think flying would be amazing. She doesn't fly. She hovers. <laughs> she flies. Come on. She flies. Um, I think the quick healing would probably be the most practical power for me to choose. For you, yeah. I think you <laughs> would <laughs> That's okay. what we were just talking about like how fragile the human body was before we hit record on this. So. <laughs> it's definitely fresh on the mind. I've uh, within the past year developed this charming thing where I react horribly to mosquito bites, like they just turn purple on me. I saw one land on you yesterday. And I smacked it off of you. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to these like purple blobs all over my legs. Mm. Um, oh, I mean, one less I, because of me. Yeah, and I've got a line of them. On my leg that are still healing from like two weeks ago, two or three oh. weeks ago. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to hear that. That sucks. <laughs> yeah. So I need the quick healing. <laughs> okay. Do that too. What does the black vomit do though? Oh, I don't well, remember. She um mostly freaks spikes. Needy out. Yeah, it freaks her out. <laughs> it's like a um like think of like um a squid that uses its ink to scare away its um. Like the predator that's going after it. Yeah, I like to imagine it's partially the souls of the men she's devoured. It could I like be that. that. Yeah. So I don't know. I just like it because how it's cool, different. How cool it must have been for Diablo Cody to write Juno, which was fucking awesome, and then write Jennifer's Body, which is also fucking awesome. It is. And it's like these are two great movies in two totally different genres. Where the fuck have you been, Diablo Cody? Please come back. Well, and also, like, she's just got such a distinct voice, too. Yep. Because, like, midway through watching, I'm like, this feels very Diablo Cody. And I was like, oh, it's because it's it is. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So now we will finally begin talking about Perfect Blue. So Perfect Blue, the movie premiered August 5th, 1997 at Fantasia International Film Festival. Oh, so the day after your fifth birthday. Yeah. Wide release, February 28th, 1998 in Japan. Okay. We watched this on Shudder because... Hey. Yeah, Daddy <laughs> Shudder. Uh, this I forgot is, it was uh, on there. Yeah, this is yeah. actually... Um, from what I remember, whenever it finally made it to Shudder, it was the uh, premiere of it actually hitting streaming. So this is the oh. only place it's ever been streaming, I guess. But um, you can stream it on Shudder. You can also stream it on AMC+. And you can actually stream it through DirecTV. Um, also, if you want to give money to YouTube. Yeah. Amazon and YouTube, only one ninety nine to rent it. Okay. Other where, or other where, other places it's. Mm-hmm. Other where, yeah. yeah. Other where. <laughs> it's like uh, $3 to rent, but you know, whatever. Like two bucks, if you don't have Shutter, it's not that big of a deal. So this was written, and I'm going to do my best with names because I tried to look up how to phonetically pronounce most of these. But um, yeah. if I mess up, please forgive me. Sadayuki Murai did the screenplay for this based off of the novel by Yoshikazu Takayuchi. Okay. Mm-hmm. It was directed by Satoshi Kon. Satoshi Kon. Yeah. Satoshi Kon. Thank you. I'm glad that we have somebody here that can correct me on the spot. <laughs> Satoshi Kon. 
uh, music I'm by. Be a jerk. I'm sorry. No, no, pl- no. It's yeah. I actually mean that. Like, it, please yeah. correct me if I'm. We always want to pronounce people's names correctly. Yeah, I, I try to look up how to say these, and especially, yeah. especially if they're dead. So yes. Yeah. <laughs> music is by Masahiro Ikumi, and um, instead of special effects makeup, I did oh. the animation department. That makes the, sense. Yeah. Yeah, the people that actually animate this. So it was Madhouse that did this. And um, just to throw out one that you're familiar with, maybe you are too, Robert. They also are the crew that animated Death Note. <gasps> oh, dope. I did yeah. not know that. That's cool. The cast for this, we have Junko Iwao playing Mima, Rika Matsumoto playing Rumi, Shinpachi Suji playing Tadakoro, and Masakai Akura playing Uchida or me mania okay the uh the craze stalker i didn't know he had a real name i thought we only ever heard him referred to as me mania that's all i remembered also but looking it up he did have a name maybe it's in the novel i don't know i'm so glad that you said that because i was like what is this guy's name yeah (laughs) Yeah, i just kept writing stalker in my notes (laughs) i have i literally have the book right here i haven't read it yet hang on i'll grab it and see what it says all right keep going i'm sorry i'll i'll interrupt no you're good (laughs) and actually that's um that was one of the things i wanted to talk about is i was surprised to find out that this was actually based off of a novel and not based off of a manga because it's based off a young adult novel what we would call a young adult novel they call them light novels in japan that's interesting because um i was looking this up the movie is nc-17 yeah that feels correct yeah yeah there's a lot of um, brutality and actual nudity in this movie. Well, and also, like, because we know that Mima is of legal age, but she is presented in this very, like, childlike kind of way. And I'll get into more of the background of this, but it's like a mixture of different cultures, uh, ones that were especially predominant in Japan at the time. Mm hmm. Um, so it was like the mixture of the fandom culture and this like young fetishization of like youthful, pure women, yeah, girls. So where we have her presented on that one hand and then we have this hard cut <laughs> to violent sexual imagery is... Um, really jarring and uncomfortable, which was the intention. Yeah, so I do want to say the movie and the novel are different. Okay. We'll get into that here with the fun facts, but they aren't like perfect side-by-side comparisons. So I've got uh, Budget or Buck Ted, so let's play a little round of that. Jesse and Robert, uh, do you guys think that this was a budget or do you think it was Buck Ted? Oh, man, this is tricky because it's animation. So mm-hmm. I feel like that's a whole different ballpark than live action movies. Yes, but animation definitely requires a budget. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm going to go good. with budget. You're going to go budget? I'm going go to go with budget also. Budget? Okay. So the budget for this movie was 3 million yen, which in U.S. dollars is 830,000. That's a lot wow. for a cartoon. Yeah. That's a lot for animation, but it is like low compared to the live actor like stuff movie that we stuff. About. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's true. The box office for this, I, I had two conflicting things. Also, I want to make a note. Actually, I'm sorry. This is my this is where I messed up. So I wrote down 3 million yen because on IMDb it said that the budget was 3 million yen. That is incorrect because that's way less than 830,000. So the like the true US budget dollar 
value would be 830,000, but the Japanese version, it was actually 90 million yen. Okay. So I don't know why IMDB had it listed 3 million yen for the budget. Because it's all user submitted information. Yeah, so I got some information here that may or may not be accurate for the uh, the gross. There's the uh, the domestic gross, which is what they had listed mm-hmm. on there. And I double-checked it just to make sure, and it seemed to match. So domestically in Japan, it made $558,000. Internationally, it made seven hundred sixty-eight thousand, so a total of one point three million dollars, okay. which would have been one hundred eighty-five point six million yen. Okay. You guys fall. Huh. <laughs> There's a lot of. Uh, There's a lot of numbers. Yeah, it's a lot it's of a numbers. Lot of yeah. yeah. Yeah, Pepe, Sylvia, it's it's. Okay. It made money. Yeah. <laughs> it, it did okay. Not only do all of these people exist. They've been wondering where their mail is. That's <laughs> <laughs> all they're that. talking about. <laughs> <laughs> IMDb score eight out of ten. Wow. You know what? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. A lot of people <laughs> like it. All right. So I got three movies. Okay. I don't necessarily have a theme. Just uh, some of them I'm like, yeah, that tracks. That it would have been funny if you just picked animated movies and completely ignored horror. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I wish I would have done that. But uh, no. So first off, <laughs> we have The Wax Mask, which that came out this. April 4th. 1997. You said you've never heard of it? Yeah. So this is a um, a Shalu. Okay. And it was supposed to be, I believe Argento arranged this and kind of helped write it. And it was going to be Lucio Fulci's comeback movie. But right before they were able to get it going, he died. So he wasn't able to finish it. So they pulled somebody on the film to finish it. And uh, that's crazy. Yeah, um, I can't remember who the director is. I think. Yeah, I'll look it up. Okay, thank you. I think it's the guy that did um, Demon. Demons, oh, maybe. Demone. But, yeah, I could be wrong. I don't know why I always insist on her. Demone. Sergio Stivaletti. Sergio Stivaletti. Okay, that doesn't sound uh, familiar. Special effects for Phenomena, uh, Cemetery Man. Um, yeah, you know he, what? it looks like. He looks like he's mostly a makeup dude. Okay. Yeah, I was gonna say That's I cool. feel I that name sounded familiar and it's because of phenomena. Yeah. Oh and he was in Demoni. Uh Oh, is is he's the dude that he's the mask dude, I think. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So okay, he does end up being a director. Okay. So there we go. That movie had three million dollar budget. Don't have a worldwide gross on it, but okay. it has a five point eight on IMDB. Okay. Next movie. This could be debatable whether or not it's horror or not, but it does have like a similar theme wise. It's another thing that was adapted. Uh, it's Spawn, which is a movie that it's like a superhero horror okay. movie Okay. that um, is based off of the Image Comics. Are you familiar with Spawn at all? Mm-mm. You're not? Okay. Um, I'm not <clears> super <throat> familiar. Todd McFarlane. Yeah, Todd, Todd McFarlane. McFarlane property. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that's like the only image comic that's still like being super popular. <laughs> yeah, it's one that actually has, it's probably their biggest property. Yeah. Um, see, I don't, I've never read it. I've never watched the movie, but I've seen the imagery and it does have some very creepy imagery to it. I think his uh, sidekick is like a creepy clown guy. Clown. Okay. Yeah. Played by John Leguizamo in the movie. 
Yeah, John Leguizamo was like squatting the entire time they were making that movie. Um, <laughs> that it's not man. good. It's not good. Okay. Spawn's not very good. I'll be honest. Like I'm a, I love comic books and stuff, and I have like multiple copies of the first issue of Spawn because they're worth a lot of money. But like, it's not that good. <laughs> and the movie, the movie's okay. But there's an animated series on HBO um, that really was not that bad. Whenever I see the clown guy, I just think of Danny DeVito as the people. Yeah, he would have been the logical choice, but uh, John Leguizamo knocked him out of the park. Hmm. I thought you were just going to leave it, I think, of Danny DeVito. (laughs) (laughs) If you saw what he looks like, you would get it. Okay, okay. Okay, that came out August 1st, 1997. Budget of $40 million. Worldwide gross of $87 million. Okay. And an IMDb of 5.2. Okay. And the final movie... It's just a weird one that I saw. I've never heard of this actually being a movie, but Tamagotchi. You know, like Tamagotchis, the big thing that was like a huge craze back in the 90s. Did you have one? I did have one. I had many. I just had one. You Um, just had one? Yeah. It went back and forth between being alive and not. Yep. Which, you know what, though? I... In a sense, I'm glad that they actually die because a few years later we had Neopets and those just suffered in hunger for months and months until you logged back in and it's like, please, I'm so hungry. You know, see, that's the thing. (laughs) It's fucked up, but that alone is a horror story. I know. This is a Chinese movie. I have no idea how you can watch it. Neopets taught me and my sister how to card count because that's how we would get all of the money to feed them nice food would be to like go essentially to this child-friendly gambling ring and play (laughs) cards against other people. And then you get your digital money and you can go and buy your Neopets like (laughs) nice clothes and special treats. So (laughs) I just remember having my Tamagotchi and I remember going to a water park and I got busy and I just forgot to check on him for a few days. And then I remember like later on that weekend, I was like, oh shit, my Tamagotchi. And then I went to my backpack and grabbed him and he was still alive, but boy, he had stacks of shit. Like they had, cause they actually pooped too. And it was just like stacked so high and I felt so, so bad for him. Either way, okay. That came out November 15th, 1997. Don't have a budget, don't have a gross. IMDb of 4.4. <laughs> I want to watch it. I want to know. Did you ever have a Tamagotchi, Robert? Uh, I did. Um, and I didn't like when it died, so I just put it in my drawer in my bedroom. And I was like, just I don't know. Up. I'm not ready for this. <laughs> it's heavy. It's really heavy yeah. for a little toy. Yeah. But they I, they brought them back. Like, they they supposedly brought them back. Um, I guarantee you. I know my niece and nephew have them. And uh, I know that they're also on, like, the Switch and stuff, too. Maybe we should get yeah. another one. Uh, maybe we're ready now. <laughs> okay. Got two taglines. So the first one, the color of illusion is perfect blue. Ooh. Okay. Okay. That's good. Mm. That's really good. I do like it. Yeah. The second one, excuse me, who are you? Oh, that's creepy. I got, yeah, okay. I like that because that encapsulates a lot of the themes of the... Mm-hmm. of the movie yeah i think um they're different than what we normally get but um i think that they are taking the movie a little bit more seriously than we do with our taglines <laughs> <laughs> uh okay so that's it for taglines jesse you have the um information 
forgot to mention at the beginning of this, we I, are. I've got this. Okay, let's, got Jesse, this. you handle this. So this is June, which in the U.S. is Pride Month, and we decided that uh, based on a user's suggestion that we would do a Pride Month theme. We weren't sure how this movie would fit into it because it was pre-scheduled before we decided on the theme, and Travis and I had each only seen it once, so we weren't sure, you know, how things would tie in. And uh, after watching it last night, it was pretty apparent that there could very easily be a, a queer reading mm-hmm. on it. What with Mima having to have a certain persona professionally to be taken seriously versus who she actually is. I think that's pretty explanatory. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I found a thesis somebody wrote as part of their uh, Masters of Art History. Hmm. And as as I did last week, I will post a link to this in our show notes, but it's called Queer Animation, The Animated Aesthetics of Queerness in the Works of Satoshi Kon by Melanie St. Oyant. Satoshi Kon? Is that right? Satoshi Kon, yeah. Okay. So, and it's actually, it's a pretty lengthy thesis, but it's a quick read. Um, okay. <laughs> there's pictures. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's my kind of book right there. Um, but a big part of her thesis is that animation itself already really lends itself well to queer storytelling because there's a malleable sense that comes along with animation where it's a lot easier to blur those lines of what's expected in terms of like gender norms, sexual norms, um, identity norms. Um, And I say norm, you know, in terms of like what society has deemed the norm, you know, I mean the heteronormativity, not that like, oh, it's normal to be straight or whatever. Right, right, yeah, yeah. So, and then especially with Satoshi Khan, because he lends more into surrealism and avant-garde, which really kind of takes all of these elements together and uh, presents a a queer lens through which you can see a lot of these works. And there's, uh, I'd say about a third of this thesis is dedicated to Perfect Blue. Okay. But I highlighted one passage in particular. Uh Mima's final confrontation with her attacker does not follow the the formula of the final girl as set up by Clover. It is not about Mima turning the tables on her attacker in order to kill her. Instead, Mima saves Rumi, pushing her out of the way of an oncoming truck. Mima's actions serve as a deconstruction of the slasher trope, so does having a female killer. The arc of Mima's character is one of broken traditions and revelation from the uncertainty. She goes from being part of a collective to becoming an individual. When we are granted authority over our identities, it opens up the path of possibilities where any desire can be followed and explored, where the threshold is left open for queer becoming. Okay. So I thought that was, um, the whole thing is really actually pretty interesting. There was another part a little bit earlier up that I was talking about with the clashes of the different cultures that were prominent then. Um, The Phil's theme around identity and not being your own to control is one that resonates with Japan's own instability around identity and traditions in the 1990s, one that complicated Mm. the separation between image and reality. That's interesting. That is, yeah. I could definitely see a strong case being built for that. Yeah, so I thought all of that was really interesting and, um, you know, there... There's there are a ton of historians that can tell you a lot about, you know, how horror especially can tell queer stories without being directly like out loud queer. You'd be in influenced fact, by it heavily. Yeah. Um, and in fact, Shudder has a four part documentary series called Queer for Fear, and they go over a lot of these in a lot of them, um, a lot more detail. Yeah. But I, uh, you know, I just I thought that was uh, 
one really interesting take on it, especially taking into account Japan, which we're not necessarily going to be intimately familiar with their, their um, culture. Yeah, yeah, their their culture right offhand, and then also the the impact of it being animation versus live action. Right. And then, um, as I did last week, and as I would like to do all month long, I wanted to share some statistics um, about you know, things that affect LGBTQ individuals because we are donating all of our proceeds for a Patreon this month to the Trevor Project, which mm-hmm. is a foundation that helps LGBTQ youth. Oh, um, that's awesome. Um, Sorry. So, no, no you're, you're fine. Good. It is. Inter- it is. It's a really awesome. Don't forget to interject <laughs> really, at any point yeah. Too. <laughs> you're our guest. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, given the sexual assault scene that was super prominent in this movie, and given the harassment that Mima experiences at the hands of not even just her stalkers, but like fans in general, mm-hmm. um, I found this statistic on the National Sexual Violence Resource Center website. of lesbian women have experienced rape, physical violence, and or stalking by an intimate partner in their lifetime, while 26% of gay men have as well, which increases to 37% for bisexual men. Bisexual women, trans women, and women of color experience higher risks. 70% of LGBTQIA plus members of the community have been sexually harassed at work, and 66% were afraid to tell their employer for fear of being outed. Oh, that's depressing. Yeah. Mm. If any, so I love that you're doing that. So like if anybody like makes an independent donation to that organization um, through the month of June, whoever donates the most, I will send you copies of all of my books signed. You just got to oh, show me. Dude. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Thank yeah, you, you, Robert. Just gotta, yeah, no, of course. Just, um, you know, if it's if I don't mean to put you guys on the spot, but like if they send you like the proof of their donation or if they send me the proof of donation on Twitter or Instagram or whatever. Um, at the end of June, uh, I will look and see who had the highest donation and then I will reach out to that person, get their address and send them my books. God, thank you so That's much awesome. for doing that. That's amazing. You. Yeah, no, of course. Yeah, I love that. I love that you guys are doing that. That's awesome. Well, thank you. <sighs> All right. Well, okay. Warm fuzzies. We, we went up into an upper note <laughs> yeah. there, and uh, that's a good way to segue on into the fun facts. <laughs> okay. So, this movie was originally envisioned to be a live action film whenever they were starting off planning it. So, it was going to be live action, but due to funding difficulties, it ended up being downgraded to direct to video, and then from there got downgraded to direct to animation video. Hmm. So, when they began working on it, it was a OVA, which for those of you who aren't familiar with like anime terms like that, that's original video animation, which those don't get the same treatment that like a TV series or a movie would where they get played on television. It just um, like it just exists. It's like direct to video. You would have to go find it, like search okay. for it. But at the last minute of this, they ended up deciding to release it as a movie. So as a result, they were able to take it and submit it to film festivals where they were suggested to do that to the um, with the Fantasia Film Festival because if they get to do that, they get to release it internationally. Oh, that's cool. Uh, when they did that, they were super shocked with the success of it. It ended up having to be arranged where there was a second showing and it won the uh, Best International film 
at the festival that year. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's so cool. So it did really well. Um, they ended up getting it released, you know, in theaters in Japan and then internationally. There's like a lot of release dates for this thing. Uh, but the first iteration of the thing, they were originally going to be making a splatter psych horror movie about a crazed fan who can't handle the idol's image change. Hmm. But um, Cohn, is that? Con. Con, yeah. He didn't necessarily want to make that movie. Well, I like hearing that. I like that the final product we have is actually from Mima's POV. Yeah, me too. Um, well, that was always supposed to be the main character. So the original author of the novel supported him making any change that he wanted to, but he had three things that he needed to be consistent. And that's the main character has to be a B grade idol. There has to be a rabbit stalker and it has to be a horror film. Okay. Perfect. Other than that, he was able to make any changes that he check, could. Check, check, check. Yeah. So we got <laughs> <You> really... <laughs> And authors, that's how it's done. <laughs> if, you have a genius, if you have a genius like Satoshi Khan, just be like, hey, man, can you just make sure you do this, 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 and this? And he'll go, yeah, no problem, bro. Bye. And then he'll go make a ton of money. So that's how you do it. So at the film festival, Satoshi Khan was uh, not really well known. This was his first movie. So instead of introducing it as his film, they introduced it as um, the efforts of one of Katsuhiro Otomo. Oh, the guy who made Akira. Yeah. Katsuhiro Otomo. Katsuhiro Otomo, thank you so much. <laughs> yes, the creator of Akira. You're like, okay, this is the disciple of him. And that guy had no involvement in this movie at all. They just wanted to announce it that way to give it a little bit of credibility. It's kind of like whenever they do like a brought to you by or, you know, from the my, uh, the creators of blank type well, deal. Which can yeah. be good and bad because look at what happened with the recent uh, rebirth of Kingdom. Yes, that's exactly what yeah. I was going Everybody's with. Everybody's like, of... it's Jordan Pills. And it's like, well. No, he's just the producer. <laughs> yeah. It's. Which yeah. well, they, that that director Todd Field, when he first started making movies and stuff, they used to be like, "Oh, he's a disciple of Kubrick. He's a disciple of Kubrick." And it's like, yeah, he's like similar sometimes tonally, but like, don't lump him in the same category as Kubrick, because like yeah. he literally studied with Kubrick and was like friends with Kubrick. So <laughs> everyone was kind of going into these Todd Field movies, being like, "Oh, it's like Kubrickian." It's like, well, it's not really, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing with this right here. I mean, this guy had no involvement, didn't even talk to this guy. The only thing was uh, he talked to the person that did the novel and just uh, like mentioned the whole like animation aspect of like, you know, how adapting it to animation. The only way to do it. Yeah, yeah it gave like guidance with that. But that was it. That's smart. So it was rumored for a while that Darren Aronofsky purchased the remake rights for this. But back in an interview in 2001, Satoshi Kon, Kon? Kon. Sorry, this is <laughs> Satoshi Kon said that he had to abandon the purchase for various reasons. But in the end, Aronofsky used a shot from this movie in Requiem for a Dream, which is the scene of Jennifer Connelly's character in the bathtub with her head mm -hmm. underwater and she's just screaming. Yeah. That's what Mima does in this movie, too. So yeah. apparently that, you know, a lot of that resonated with Aronofsky. And there's a lot oh, of uh, similarities drawn between... Oh, what? A fucking bummer of a movie that makes you depressed as shit resonated with Aronofsky? Yeah. Well, <laughs> apparently there's a lot of inspiration. Well, people have noticed similarities between this and Black Swan also, apparently. I, uh, uh... I really... 
I think yeah. like the, the psychological stuff, I think, is where people are kind of like, oh, this is a lot like Black Swan. It's like, well, not really, but all right. But OK. Yeah, like, I hate Requiem for a Dream, by the way. I, I we talked about that last time because <laughs> we were talking right. about Leto. <laughs> no, it's oh, OK. I, no, I, I love that movie. But yeah, it's super fucking depressing. <laughs> <laughs> there was a live action movie of this actually made and released in 2002. I don't know if it follows mm. this version or if it follows the novel version, but well, there's also a sequel novel too. That, I yeah. think that's what the live action one follows. Okay, that um, that actually yeah released like shortly before this movie came out too. And my final thing, the film's original camera negative was accidentally destroyed, so everything that we are watching now is a uh, source from a lower quality print. Whoa! Wow. Yep. That that like made my stomach drop. Just I like, <laughs> oh no, all that work. It's just all gone. So, um, there have been some. Uh, I know Scream Factory or Shot Factory. I don't know which brand that they're using for the release of this, but they've released several different versions of this. There's like a still book, but um, I doubt that they ever. They probably just have access to this one print that they have. Yeah, which that's really unfortunate because this is a beautiful movie. Oh God, man, damn. however. Knowing Screen Factory's history with captions. Yeah. <laughs> I... <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I would want them to take the helm of uh, doing the translation for this. <sighs> okay. That's all, right. all I got here. All right. So now we're on to good, bad, ugly, absurd. That's right. So um, we switched it up a little bit, Robert, since we were on here last time. We're all going mm -hmm. over these together. So we'll each share our good things that we liked about it and then are bad and then ugly and absurd. So um, if you wanted to, we'll let you kick yeah. it off for us and tell us what you liked about this thing. Okay. Uh, good. And this is a weird thought that I had while watching it, but good, the acting. And I know it's obviously, you know, animated, but the voice acting is so great, but also <sighs> like you could see the acting emoted through an animated character better than I think any other animated piece I might have ever seen other than maybe Akira. I was thinking Akira. Yeah, because like that one right there, the, the animation in that movie is beautiful. But oh my uh, and, God. Yeah, yeah I, I um, see what you're saying here, too, though. Yeah, you could just yeah. I really feel my heartbreak for Mima over and over and over again. A part of it is just like her sweet little voice and mm -hmm. her face. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and like you can read the confusion so well in her voice, even though I mean I don't know if you guys speak Japanese. I do not. No, but like clearly the, I don't. The, <laughs> <laughs> but like the during, tone is very clear though. Yeah, big time, and it's really crazy. Like I've never I I know the actress who plays Mima is famous for being in uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion, which I've never watched, but I've always thought looked cool. It does. Um, yeah, like I just I don't know ships in space and there's like a million episodes. I can't even wrap my head around it, but it does look dope. And I know she was in that. So like she's obviously a heavy hitter in the voice acting world, probably in the regular acting world as well. I don't know if she's ever done anything live action, but so that's what I would say with the good. The bad. Wait, um, wait, we're, we're round robining it. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Do you want to go first? Um, yeah, I, like I said, I like the way that he tells the story really kind of parallels what's happening 
um, in terms of like the public facing world um, between you know either where she's still her pop star self or where she's her actress self Mm -hmm. and you see her going to work in these settings versus like the banality of her daily life yeah. like that tiny little efficiency apartment she lives in that strikes me every single shot because we see like something else like she's got that dual like nozzle in the bathroom that like works for both the sink and the bathtub and mm-hmm. she's got like hangers on the ceiling for drying her clothes and like it's just such a tiny apartment and like that's not what you think of when you think of like a pop star. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of. I, I feel like the uh, the opening lets you like bask in the apartment with her. Like she lays down on the bed, and it's just shots of just everything around her room, and it's just kind of there to let it sink in. Like, yeah, she's not living a glamorous life. And like, I think the way he tells the story is so good too. Especially like if you're going to be somebody who directs surrealism, like he does it in such a way that it really starts to make you question your own sanity watching Mm -hmm. it. Cause it's like, Oh, she's being stalked, but also she's filming a show. So like it, it happens where like, Oh, she's walking down the street. Is this an instance where she's being followed? Pull out. Nope. It's actually they're filming a scene for yeah. the show. And so you never know what's real and what's not. And by the time Mima's like, hey, I don't know what's real and what's not. It's like, cool, join the club. Yeah, like, we don't either. Yeah, it messes with your mind. <laughs> when she has that part where she says to Rumi, like, oh, I'm so glad you came to see me. It's been a while. And Rumi's like, I was here yesterday. Yeah. Dude. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was that's part of one of my goods too. Um I like I do feel like how towards the end of the movie you get into her headspace because you're questioning is this a dream is this real i don't even know what's happening anymore like you get to actually you're going through the movie through the same experience that she is too yeah can i also add the spooky music to my list oh of my good god yeah, good sure. call oh <laughs> really good call <laughs> yeah the music is good also like um of it. like if there's a vinyl of the score Ooh, I wonder. Ooh. I'm gonna look that up. Um, another <laughs> like um, one, I'm buying it. The, the animation in this movie is really good too. Like, yeah. uh, I I was reading that whenever they were animating their um when they were doing their performances, they actually animated the characters like not fully in sync because they wanted it to feel more realistic. I love it. Yeah. All right, now bad. we can do bad. <laughs> yes. Oh, now it's bad. Now I can do bad. Okay. Um, I think. Uh, <sighs> I don't really find anything bad about this movie, but if I'm going to say, if I have to say something, I'll say uh, the ending. I think it would have traumatized Mima a little bit more to watch Rumi get fucking flattened by Mm -hmm. that truck. And it would have left her with some more psychological damage than saving her. I love that she saves her, but I would have liked it better if she would have been a little more psychologically scarred after the fact. Um, Because I'm a horrible person (laughs) (laughs) i guess for me look they just broadcast who the stalker is so like oh oh is it the guy who's got his face half covered and he looks like a creep is he gonna be the creep yeah he's the creep that right there that is a typical anime like i was gonna say oh bad news guy yep yep you don't see his face (laughs) all the way yep yep my bad, I, I agree with you. I don't really think that there's a whole lot bad, but I wish that this movie took more advantage of the fact that it's animated. Something about anime and like that art style, it lends itself to having really creepy imagery. And I wish that they took more advantage of that in this movie. Oh, but that's fair. 
Yeah. I'm sorry. Arumi's eyes drifting farther and farther apart in each scene, not disturbing enough for you. It's that. And the guy, <laughs> see, that's how you know she's fucked up because her eyes are just so far They're apart. They just like, go farther and yeah. farther. <laughs> and the other guy, he's just, you don't even see his other eye. Okay, ugly. What'd you think ugly, or what would you find ugly about this? What did I find ugly? Um, I think how Mima, like, you can really feel the physical attack at the very end when she gets stabbed multiple times. And that's pretty Mm -hmm. ugly to me. Like, it's just not like I'm so offended by it or anything, but like, it's just brutal and ugly how kind of ripped to shreds. She kind of is by the end of the movie, uh, especially going into that final fight with, yeah, uh, you feel so bad for her. Yeah. You, you feel awful getting stabbed with an umbrella. Talk about scream. Hey, Uh. (laughs) um, that's pretty rough. Like that's gotta be awful. He, (laughs) I immediately go to Silent Night, Deadly Night 2, <laughs> and I think of getting stabbed by an umbrella. <laughs> oh, yeah. So many options. That's awesome. Um, I guess my ugly is going to be the commodification of Mima and really how that kind of speaks to how we treat celebrities, particularly female celebrities as a whole. Because mm-hmm. uh, I don't think anything has really changed, and I think it does translate over well to American audiences. I was actually I saw something unrelated about stuff uh, about um, Lady Gaga. I almost call, I, I almost called her by her government name. <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, Stephanie Germanotti I think is her is her actual I, name. That is um, but like I think about the fact that she is a pop idol who is like getting well known as being an actress as well nowadays and one of the things that i hear people talk about a lot is like i like her so much better without all that makeup on and her and katie perry both were singers before they developed those more like outlandish stage personas but that is what got them business Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i just think about how in that industry you really have to find a way to sell yourself and then the fans think that you belong to them. Yeah. yeah. And this movie shows how dark that really is. Yep. That was my ugly too. My whole thing was uh, the hyper fixation on celebrities and uh, like the mental impact of being obsessed from both perspectives. You see how it breaks down Mima because you have these people out there impersonating her and, like mm-hmm. trying to mold a, like her character into what they want it to be. And then you have that me maniac dude who is like just so obsessed with her to the point that he is willing to like kill her because he thinks that she is an impersonator. It's super mm-hmm. fucked up. And the constant need to, to reinvent yourself too, mm-hmm. like to stay, you know, stay relevant or whatever. And then of course, seeing people reject that is particularly terrible and ugly. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, absurd. What's the absurd moments of this movie? Um, I, I always think about this this part when uh, fake or false Mima slash Rumi is floating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's jumping towards yep. the end, and, and I that love was... that. <laughs> I, <laughs> I love it, but it is absurd. <laughs> Wait, are that's you, the are you... the. Bouncy bounce. Are we talking yeah. about like in the middle of the movie or no, are we talking at about the, the end? end when she's okay. in the red dress? Yep. But I do like that they at least give us a two second snippet of her reflection in a window yes. going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I um 
That was mine too. Like just because like I'm trying to picture what she's not actually jumping down this building as gracefully no. as that. Like I'm no. imagining her just like falling on her face every single time she jumps down. She's like banged up by the time she gets down to the streets. Yeah, she's maybe that's what's happening with you, Robert. When uh, your wife's like, "Why are you limping?" And yeah. you're like, "Am I limping?" <laughs> you're just your roomie imagining you're a, a pop idol. <laughs> God, we have an explanation. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we all ended at the same place with that one. That's cool. <laughs> all right, so out of 10, what do you guys give this movie? Uh, I will go 10. Okay. okay. I, um, boy, man, I think I would go close to that, too. I think I'd go, like, I'd go about 9.25. Cool. I'm going to go with a 9, which means this math sucks, and I'm not even going to try to do it in my head. <laughs> Nine point one seven five. No, Travis, that math doesn't math that way. <laughs> It'd be like a nine point three five or nine point four something. Nine point four two. Nine point four yeah. two. Okay, that's a really high score. Look it is. I'll do an IMDb. What's the highest still? What's the highest that you guys have had? We've had straight up remember. tens. A tens across the board? Yeah, yeah tens, tens, tens um, across the board. For like um, you know, some of your like Halloween. Halloween and Scream, oh, I think, Scream. were both tens for yeah. us. I, I've um, thrown out some tens for some movies that probably most people wouldn't consider tens, but I love them so much that they're a ten to me. I think I gave Troll Two an eleven. I remember, <laughs> I remember specifically that you rated Jack Frost the same as The Shining, and I remember <laughs> Michael Cooney, the guy that saw or that uh, directed Jack Frost, saw that you did that. <laughs> He's like, "Wow, it's actually being mentioned in the same conversation." <laughs> Listen, I have a refined palette for movies. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, cool. Oh my god. All right. All right, so let's get into the scene. Can I just say I like the low budget Power Rangers at the beginning? I love I like it. that we started oh off with god, that. Same. <laughs> so that's what we open with. We open with Power Rangers, but they're not Power Rangers, they're Powertrons, which yeah, mm-hmm. the like the low great value and version like, of it. I 100% because that kid was leaving and he was like, that show was lame. And it 100% made me think of the shows at like the fair every year where you're like, that's <laughs> yeah. it? <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Yeah, the kids are like, that was so cheap. Like, <laughs> yeah, man, it's going to look cheap in person. You're not getting the camera tricks. <laughs> and if it's anything like the actual Power Rangers show, it looks cheap on the show too. Yeah, it does. Like it's <laughs> always been cheap, but that's part of its charm. You're there for the cool poses. Okay. Yeah, so people are, we see these groups of people, and I think I need to point out specifically it's groups of men. Uh, Every time we hear fans talking about Cham or Mima, it is groups of men. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And they're all talking about their performance, the rumors that Mima's going to be leaving. And this is where we start kind of having like an inner cut of Mima going about her day, going home, going to grocery store. Um, all of that, but we're also seeing this last show. Mm-hmm. And her managers are arguing about if she can sing and act. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then she ever... was offered a drama series. But yeah, they weren't really wanting her to do both, right? She, they were basically forcing her to pick one or the other. Yeah, Rumi wanted her to remain as a pop star. And Tudokuro, is that his name? Yeah. Uh, he wanted her to be an actor because that's where the money is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And Rumi wanted her to stay a pop idol because that's where Rumi's uh, peak was. Kind of <laughs> um, yeah. 
so yeah, the whole point of this is she's like a B tier idol, which you know I guess that they they kind of drive that in, but at the same time I get the impression that they are still fairly successful because they draw a decent crowd here. Yeah. Um, also, like, who cares if you're B tier? You can make a living doing a thing you love to do. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Shit, man. Uh, okay, so she's there on stage. She's announcing that this is her final show. She's graduating from Cham, as they say. But as that's going on, there's a ruckus going on out in the crowd. There's a bunch of a kids. Ruckus. <laughs> They're out there being little asshole kids. And the stalker, Me Maniac. Me Mania. Me Mania, whatever. He's uh he's out there and he takes note. Because it's Mima, Mimania. Okay, I get it. Yeah. I thought uh, Mimaniac would be fine. He he starts as as <laughs> Mimaniac. He starts as <laughs> he's, he becomes the maniac at the end of it. Anyways, he goes over there to confront them. She has to stop the show to call them out, and um, then she gives like a tearful goodbye. And they give their last song. And then she wastes no time mourning her life as a pop star. She's immediately like, all right. Goodbye. She's rolling up that poster. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's putting all of the remnants of her former life away and talks to her mom on the phone, who is super disappointed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I um I think it's worth mentioning too, like before this, there was a shot of her getting into her car to leave, and one of the fans is like, I go to Mima's room all the time. And she's mind, not bothered enough by that. No, keep in mind this is before she knows what the internet is. So she's like, <laughs> "Oh my god, these people are always coming over to my room. What is this even?" <laughs> like hearing that and not even knowing what that means has to be terrifying. But yeah, she's like, "Oh, okay, thank you." <laughs> uh, so she goes home. Yeah, gets a call from her mom. Yeah, uh, you can tell she's maybe kind of regretting the whole decision of dropping the pop idol image. Well, she's telling her mom that she she felt suffocated by the pop idol image. Yeah, but you can tell. I get the impression, and kind of like what you guys were saying before, like through the delivery, that it, I I feel like she's like trying to convince herself here, even that yeah, like it wasn't for me. I don't want to do that. I want to be an actor. I think it can be both. It could be, I guess. Maybe she was like hopeful for what this would be. Like, if she could have been a pop idol, but not have to stick to that same image the whole time. Yeah. While she's on the phone with her mom, she gets a call from somebody else, and it's a heavy breather. Yeah, those are fun. Yeah, the guy doesn't say anything, uh, hangs up, and then ends up getting a fax with a traitor just being printed on there over and over. Which, man, imagine getting a threatening note through fax. Yeah, <laughs> I... <sighs> I guess we have to go back in time because this is 1997. Fax was the thing. Internet was very new at this time. I don't even know like, if 97 internet was like super widely used at this point. I was I too young. So. I was only five at the time. so. I, I mean, the internet would have existed, but not like not in the way we know it now. It still would have been super early, like you said. Yeah. Um, so she's on set and she shows Rumi the note she received that has, you know, another mention of Mima's room and Rumi explains the internet to her, which here's the thing. This is wholesome. (laughs) It's wholesome, but also like Rumi has been working with Mima for at least two and a half years and knows that Mima is talented in many ways, but maybe not necessarily, um, Super adept at understanding things like the internet. Yes. <laughs> and Rumi goes into a very technical explanation of it. And she goes, you don't understand any of this, do you? And Mima goes, no. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> so she's just got like a single line. 
and she's super nervous about it. And Ruby is not impressed that she's super nervous. And Tadakoro is not very impressed that she's only got a single line. The line, by the way, is just, who are you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a- Which is like the perfect thing for the movie, who are you, as her first line in the movie, but also the metatextual nature of it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she notices that the cast are all kind of looking at her, though. And mm-hmm. everybody's just kind of, uh, nobody's necessarily taking her super seriously on set. Well, uh, Mr. Like, she's not even an A-list idol. Like, so it's mm-hmm. it's just weird that it's like, oh, this girl's like a B-lister. And now she's going to be in this show that's got some steam behind it. Like, I the whole, the whole idol thing in Japan is very strange to me anyway. Yeah. But like, you know, the fact that there's like bars where people like are the idols but they're not really the idols like the whole it's just a really weird uh that's not, that's a fa- i'm not trying to say weird but it's just like a different cultural thing and like I, I don't know like we've got things like um think about like disney world where people are dressed up as the characters and you're not even allowed to say that it's like an actor dressed up as the character like if you are if you work at Disney and you're Cinderella that day, you say, I'm spending the day with Cinderella because mm. you can't break the illusion yeah. that Cinderella's real. Yeah, that's a good point. I guess, yeah, if it would be different, you know, seeing like if I, I would react the same way seeing a guy dressed as, oh, I literally took pictures with the Fantastic Four at a convention the other day. So it's the same thing as meeting like a pop idol, I guess. Oh, good call. Good point. I'm changing my stance. <laughs> yeah, you just like blew my mind with that comparison. <laughs> that was like a seismic event for me. Good call. Good call. Um, I do think it's kind of interesting, though, that she's on this type of show. And I'm with the way that Japan is when it comes to censorship. I'm surprised that they're even making this type of show for television. Yeah, I was thinking about that like later where we fully see animated nipples. Yeah. And I'm like, this is going to be on TV? Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Like that, like I know America is very prudish whenever it comes to like nudity, not necessarily with like the killing and the rape. I'm sure that would have... Yeah, no, that would have gone through the censors, yeah, no problem. Yeah, that would have been fine. Yeah. <laughs> but I know that Japan... But female <clears throat> presenting nipples. Yeah. That's where we draw the line. I, I just know that Japan is... <laughs> they're n- kind of notorious for being very, very big on censorship, especially that type of stuff. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's very interesting. Well, and the movie itself is NC-17, so... That's true, yeah. But I guess it kind of speaks to, like, that's how... That's the only way a B-list idol would have been able to get on. It's like, well, we needed somebody. (laughs) Well, and then they kind of sensationalize her because she's this sweet little pop idol and they're going to give her this very dark storyline. So when Todokuro starts complaining to the writer about her needing more lines, he gets mischievous and he's like, what is the nastiest storyline I can come up with and how can I throw it at this Again, I know she is a fully grown adult woman, but she has been infantilized so much of her life, and she is infantilized by the fans. And now we're going to give her this radical growing up storyline. Yeah, it's like, but it's so coming hard. from a very gross place from the writer's perspective, mm-hmm, and definitely. I don't like it. Yeah, which it, the writer. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, I'm sorry. I, it also it plays with that idea of uh, voyeurism too, and it's very lecherous. Mm-hmm. And so, like. So, oh, yeah, we need her to have more lines. And he's like, yeah, you want her to have more lines, asshole? Here you go. <laughs> now she's, you know, getting gang raped in a scene. But it's also like the interesting thing, too, is that kind of touches on the idea of like doxing because she does get doxed. 
mm-hmm. in this. Mm-hmm. this is maybe, I wonder if this is the first instance of somebody in media getting doxxed online. Because um, this could very well be the case. But it's yeah. also like internet hoax. You know, it's like you have this character, this this B-list <gasps> idol or whatever. She's trying to make the transition to acting. It's like, well, then you hear on like Mima's room message board like, oh, I just recorded the, or I f- shot this kind of scene today or whatever. Is she it's also like, the first deep fake? Oh, shit. That's a good point. That's a really, yeah. Yeah. This wow. movie, shit. We're going this ahead movie of is decades ahead of its yeah. time. Shit. But no, it's like, it's just weird because you have like the idea of the voyeurism also combined with the fact that she's surrounded by people that she doesn't fucking know anybody on this set. And none of them are like particularly impressed by her. Oh, God damn it. The psychological stuff going on is so crazy here. Yeah. yeah. Well, and then on top of that, there was a letter addressed to her that her manager opens and it explodes. So, yeah. Which so that, we've glossed over that. That just fucking <laughs> happens. Like, well, I, he glosses over it too. He's like, no cops, no cops. So, <laughs> this is the thing here too, right? Because, like, in the end, okay, who, do you think that that was from a random fan or do you think that that was Rumi? I think I that think was Rumi. And I think Rumi Ooh. knew that Todokuro was going to open it instead of letting you think so? open it. Yes. Okay. She's worked with that asshole long enough. She knows that, what he's you know about. What? You might be onto something there. <laughs> what about you, Robert? And he he kind of, like, I, I could see that, too, because he kind of, like, throws it in her face about her being a pop idol or, like, trying mm-hmm. to be a pop idol and not being good enough a couple times. Yeah, so that tracks. So And also, during this whole thing, the writer, Mr. Shibuya, uh, Shibuya he he's... Uh, been shown to like he's struggling to come up with something yeah so. he does not know what ending he's got which is man that is a and you can probably speak to this more as a writer yourself robert but i feel like that is a delicate line to be on one to like kind of see where the story takes itself but also to have to worry about writing yourself into a corner mm. yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Uh, like, so with the, I can make a, a reference. Like, the vile thing we created had a totally different ending originally than what I ended up writing because it's kept escalating Ooh. so much. Ooh. And the original ending I had planned, I was like, this would work, but it wouldn't work tonally with where things are going. So, yeah, can relate. Can relate to not knowing a hundred percent where something's going when you kick it off. Okay, so Remy is helping Mima set up a computer, and Mima is so whiny <laughs> she is so whiny the whole time she's not paying attention to Rumi trying to help her out and she makes her explain it like three times yeah I like it is a little bit I, I get like a good feeling from it it's wholesome like you know like I get the impression that Rumi actually cares for her here oh she definitely yeah. does and it like we they've made reference to the fact that she's living completely separately from her parents like not within easy visiting distance. Yeah. Um, so I think Rumi, and especially where she started the whole Cham thing so young, Rumi has kind of taken in like a surrogate mother role for yeah, her while she's on the role on the road. Even, even like the the part when she's filming the rape scene, Rumi can't she can't deal with she's it. In she gets tears. up and leaves. Yeah. yeah. I do like I will say this, and I, I kinda had forgotten about this. I do like how in that scene how the actor apologizes to her. Yeah. Uh, yeah. To Mima, he's like, I'm so sorry. Because, like, it, you know, in real life, that has to be 
the most uncomfortable fucking thing to do is yeah to well be, yeah being somebody that has to do that and then also has to like go through that like, you, you yeah. just, it's not comfortable well and then because that scene was pretty much next anyway in the movie well them yeah. arguing over whether or not she should do it happens well, in between before that though even like she's on the internet sorry just to get this here but she's like she goes to mima's room because she finds it and she finds out it's somebody that's blogging, pretending to be her, talking about her day. And then she realizes that they're actually talking about what she did earlier that week, going to the store, notes the exact things that she purchases, and starts to creep her out a little bit because that means that somebody's paying attention to what she's doing. She starts off slightly amused, but a little bit nervous. She, when that happens, she gets like yeah. creeped out. Um, so yeah, the writer has decided that, um, they're going to make Mima a more dominant recurring character for this season, and it's going to involve a sexual assault scene. Um, she's been approached as becoming a model, but kind of reading in between the lines, because we don't get the full story arc of her character. Yeah. Uh, kind of read in between the lines. It's one of those scummy kinds of guys that makes her, um strip call it a modeling experience kind of like um last night in soho oh yeah that whole thing where he's like i'm gonna make you a star but actually he's her pimp yeah exactly yeah um so the thesis that i referenced earlier has a mention of this too her reaction the only one to cry over mima's performance of being brutally raped in a bar speaks to the experience of the female spectator faced with a similar scene when watching a film that they did a very good job filming this scene, showing the brutality of it without making it gratuitous because they're making it very clear. This is a movie set, but it's still over the top violent. Mm -hmm. Like they, they're doing a good job showing that it's fake, but also there's, the essence of it not being fake and even watching this is a gut punch and while you see everybody on set is uncomfortable Rumi as the only other female on set yeah starts crying and and it's not that men can't be sexually assaulted but it is a threat that is constantly held over women cuz it's not just enough to bur- to murder a woman if you really want to fuck her up you got to rape her first mm. it's always there it's always a threat and i think this has nothing even to do with the shedding of the pop idol image i think this is truly just roomy mourning this person that she's watched grow up yeah and seeing this being acted out and again her acting mima's acting is so powerful and at some point it stops feeling like an act yeah i get uh- Towards the end of that whole scene, you can tell she's not even acting anymore. She's just straight up not having a good time. It's especially it's especially heartbreaking too because Cham is starting to have a hit without her. Yeah, mm-hmm. they've um, which that was before this. They went into the office there while Mima was there talking to her agents, and they are now in the top one hundred. They've cracked eighty mm-hmm. third on the charts. Yep. So they're starting to celebrate. They're like, you know what? Maybe we're better off as a duo, anyways. <laughs> That's gonna hurt. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck me, but am I right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, and also during that scene, like it's just like, yeah, what you're talking about before, where they had to pause, and it's like, okay, we have to shift the cameras around so they're all mm-hmm. like frozen on set in that uncomfortable position. And then not only that, but like they start and then 
they're saying, okay, you're going too fast. Let's start from the top. And they have to redo it all over again. Like, I can't imagine having to relive that multiple times to try and get the right take. Yeah, yeah it would be like, um, a, like the Monica Bellucci scene in Irreversible. Like, Ooh. how how many times did they probably have to shoot that, you know? Yeah. yeah. And especially, <laughs> especially for a novice actress. Yeah, like her mm-hmm. first role, yeah. That's yeah. that's a lot to ask for somebody that's brand new into acting right and, there. And especially because it's coming from a malintensive place on the writer's part. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like he's really doing it to prove a point. Yeah. Or to create shock value or something. Like it's, it's it's definitely for shock value because yeah. this guy, he was struggling and then all of a sudden he's like, you know what? I'm just going to like, I've got a pot bottle now. I'm going to like just use her. And, and, and this is a big part of the reason why I generally don't like rape revenge movies because it generally feels like it's done to be shocking. Yeah. Hmm. There's very few times where I think the story isn't gratuitous. Like it calls for that. Like it had to actually happen or you had to see it all. Stuff yeah. Like that. Yeah. I get yeah. what you're saying. So, um, yeah, after the fact, Mr. Tonakora was like, you know what? You did a good job, champ. I'm going to go take you to get some food. Well, he looked like he was about to say something else. Like yeah. he realized that this was too far. He was super uncomfortable in this scene, too. Like you could see, like he couldn't even look. He had to, like, Again, he is essentially like been raising this person mm-hmm. for years. <sighs> yeah, the, the creepy guy, by the way, he's been he was watching. He watched that scene being filmed, which I don't understand how they're letting just random people on set. But right, you know, I, that's an insurance liability. Yeah, I mean, he even has a camera. He's recording it, like, <laughs> and that's also like that's a copyright liability. Yeah, There's exactly. so many issues here. NDA type stuff, like, yeah. like. Kevin Williamson, who slept with the Scream 4 script under his pillow, would <laughs> never. Yeah, I saw this movie. He's like, not him. <laughs> not going to let that happen. <laughs> okay. So Mima goes back to her room, and she finds that all of her fish have died. And in a fit of rage, she just uh, starts just tearing everything up in her room, just throwing everything around. And she, like, jumps on her bed and starts screaming to herself that she didn't want to do the scene after all. She's just going along with it because she thought that that would be best for her career. She's saying that she felt like she couldn't say no, that she felt like she owed it to the people that have made her career up thus far. And I feel like that's really telling. Like, you feel like you have no control over your life because you owe something to somebody else mm-hmm. well think of all the the weinstein people uh, of our, you know, all, like they, i'm sure how they felt you know obviously they that's a realistic horrifying thing that happened and this is a fictional thing but the broad spectrum of human experience would probably indicate that they probably felt at least how mima felt in this scene or mima is meant to reflect women who have been put through a situation like that mm-hmm. You know, it's it's how often does that do we like we don't hear about it as often as, you know, okay yeah, we heard about the Harvey Weinstein thing. But how often does it still continue to happen? Yeah. Yeah. This is the first sighting of the vision and it starts to taunt her about taking the role and performing the scene. So then she ends up getting onto Mima's room and she starts reading the blog and the uh, the post is saying that her role in the show sucks. It's not going as well as she would like. And she that the like... writer is a dirty birdie. Yeah, and <laughs> she should have stuck to singing the entire time. So, yeah, now we're getting like so, some fan fiction. Yeah, just completely basically. like rewriting like what they were wanting Mima to be. And meanwhile, like 
on the outside, she is interviewing, talking about acting and talking about how she's stepping into a new phase of her life. And mm -hmm. this is a different Mima and she's embracing it. Which is difficult, too, because it's like, you know, it's undermining everything she's trying to do. Yeah. Regardless it, of what, how comfortable she is with it or not, like whoever this person is, is fucking with her livelihood. Exactly. Yeah. Because, you know, regardless of how she may or may not really feel when it's on the website like that, that's completely contradictory what she's trying to do and what she's saying in interviews. And, you know, yeah, it could fuck with future job opportunities she has where she somebody is writing saying that they are her. In that the the writer and director, are dirty old men. This it's true, her, but still, like early days of the internet, kind of stuff like this. I used to go on um, this one screenwriter's website. Roger Avery is the guy who won the Oscar for Pulp Fiction, and um, he wrote Silent Hill and uh, Rules of Attraction adaptation and stuff. So I was just like a fan of his work. And he had a, a really great blog where he would talk about the business and stuff like that, and talk about like honesty. And um, he never said anything like incendiary or whatever. But like, I always wondered, well, like, is this really him? Like That's, talking about this, he's yeah. very open and candid. And then it, it actually turned out it actually was him. And a lot of the other commenters were actually Hollywood people, too. Like Jim Jarmusch used oh. to comment on his blog and stuff. And it was like a weird thing where I, I just was like, in watching this movie now, all I could think of was like, oh, fuck, that's like the old Avery.com days uh before he went to jail but like it was a big part of it it was just weird like it's just the this movie is really prescient and well, like really and strange to tie it into a more modern thing like we've seen this implosion happening on twitter part of it was the fucking dum-dum who's running it now taking <laughs> away the blue check mark yeah. the verification which is meant to be there so that way people know if this is coming from a legit public figure or not. <laughs> yeah, it's different. I mean, this is definitely like a time like way back then where people were more gullible about the internet because, you know, like it's different. It's new. Like, why wouldn't this be them? And you, you know, know why it's important? Because this is how screenwriters get murdered on elevators. Yes. Mm -hmm. I love this scene. <laughs> why did he get on the elevator when there's a creepy boombox blaring cham? It's so Why did fucking he creepy. I want to know what happened between him opening the elevator and then it getting up to the second floor. Like yeah. Well, okay, so he, so yeah, um, Mr. Shibuya, he is parking at his parking spot and his nameplate on the spot has been covered by something that says double blind. Double which, bind. Double bind. Name of the show. Oh, that's the show. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> it's like covered in blood too. Mm -hmm. So then he goes to get on the elevator, and then as the elevator doors open, there's just a boombox centered in the elevator playing Cham, like you said. And then he, next shot, we just see the doors open, and he's had his eyes removed. He's just dead. It's fucking crazy. I love that scene. It's so creepy. Oh, yeah. And meanwhile, we're seeing just like shots of Mima getting more and more stressed and seeing more and more visions of her pop self. Mm-hmm. Um, the other Cham members are talking about Mima, how she's going to have this photo shoot, and like, are you worried about, like, uh, what's her name? Yokiku? I, I didn't think. write the name. I think it's Yokiku the... and Ray are the other two members. Okay. They're like, Yokiku's like, should we be worried about her? This dude is like pervy. He specializes in essentially getting young women to undress for camera. Um, not the first time we've covered a movie that has talked about this particular trope Neon Demon. Oh, yeah. Oh, Remember right. where he kicks everybody else off set? That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're right. Um, and Ray, fake friend, 
dude, she is like, she's like slut shaming her. She's like, yeah. well, she's used to getting undressed at this point anyways, because yeah. she's like, you know, the scene, I'm sure the episode has premiered mm-hmm. at this point. Mm-hmm. So she's like, well, she's already doing revealing shit. So she's not going to have an issue taking off her clothes for anybody else anymore. Yeah, and then this dude is just taking these nude photos of her, and then afterwards, Mima's locked herself in the bathroom and is crying and upset and arguing with her pop self in the mirror while Todakuro is outside saying, you wanted this, which also feels way too real and a different form of slut-shaming. Yeah, yep, you asked for it. Yeah. that, That part is like really weirdly reflective of something that was happening here at the time. So like, and I mean here as in in America, I, th- I can't. Re- I think it was GQ, but GQ used to have this really strange section of the magazine called "In Her House" or "In Her Home," where they would go to like either an up-and-coming starlet's house or like an up-and-coming model's house or something, and just take these very intimate photos of them. Ooh, that's and icky. like Lake Bell was one of them, um, and there was a cut. Rashida Jones was another, and like. It was just very weird and just very like GQ trying to be Maxim in some capacity, but also like not allowing full on hardcore nudity, except in like a couple cases. It was really uncomfortable and strange. And the vibe that I got in watching it this time, having learned about that, like only about a year ago, maybe a little over a year ago, was like, oh, my God, this feels like that GQ in her home section that they used to do. And like GQ not like an offensive magazine per se, but the fact that that existed in there is like the cringiest shit in history of yeah. that publication. I was thinking to myself when we were watching this, I was like, I can't believe that they would actually just have these pictures printed in magazine stands. Mm-hmm. And to be clear, I'm not shaming anybody who chooses to pose nude. Yeah, um, yeah. It's more the context in which this is happening to Mima. Like pressured into she's it. She's pressured into it. She's put into this position where she feels like she can't say no. And then if she right. expresses any regret, oh, well, you wanted this. Yeah. Not to mention she's having this freak out in the bathroom while backstage about to go on set as um, a member of Cham again for one more time, mm-hmm. which you have to like I, suck it up yeah. and then you have to like print, like present yourself as a pop idol one more time and like just deep down and like just repress those fucked up feelings I have. do love that like having her appear as like a guest member because mm-hmm. um, that's still very real like think about when Beyonce performed at the Super Bowl a couple years ago they brought on the other members of Destiny's Child yeah yeah like it, it's such a real thing it felt not real though with like, and that's kind of how the movie is made because like she goes out there they're all dressed casually they're singing a song about being dressed casually right now actually <laughs> They're like, I don't want to wear work attire. I want to wear jeans. Is like the lyrics of the song or something like that. And then she's dressed like in her but is jam that, outfit. Like, was that real? That whole thing? Yeah. Are you talking about the scene in general or the song? The scene in general. That's what I'm saying. Like you can't really tell because like <laughs> she goes out there on stage and everybody's cheering and I'm like, that's what this movie does. It blurs the line of is this real is this not so well that you just kind of don't yeah because really like at this point we've also realized that me mania is seeing things that aren't really there and isn't fully connected to reality too yeah so, and he's in the audience so i'm like i don't know what we're i don't know what we're seeing that's he's surreal. in tears right now he's like oh my god it's my girl yeah <laughs> um <laughs> yeah and he's like he bought all of the nude magazine 
photos. Like he bought all of them so nobody else could look at her. Whenever and I then, saw this, I thought of the I think you should leave sketch where Tim Robinson's character has like all those magazines in the trunk of his car. <laughs> Honk if you're horny. Yeah. <laughs> Friday night. Yeah. <laughs> That's what happened to you. Um. <clears throat> But yeah, so this is where we see that he's also like kind of fully losing it because he's got emails from the real Mima saying that there's an imposter out there that's tarnishing her good name and making it impossible for her to go back to being a pop idol. Yeah, he's like, I'm all right, I'm going to be your sworn protector. <laughs> Me maniac. Um, so she goes to like their agency studio, whatever, where um, uh, Ray and Yokiku mm-hmm. are doing <laughs> maybe a podcast. I thought like. it was like a radio. It felt like a podcast, but I think that they're doing like a radio what broadcast. Radio? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe this movie was that ahead of its time. Yeah. Um, but while she's there, she sees her pop battle self and she starts chasing it uh, through the rain and she gets hit by a car and not really because she wakes up in bed and so then she talks to Rumi and um, says that she feels like she's losing her mind and Rumi's saying well it's an illusion it can't be real and oh no she's back on set where she was the day before um, and they're like can you, what are on. you saying Mima and can, then you, she- <laughs> can you imagine though if this was actually Rumi the entire time like dressed as her skipping through the halls <laughs> and nobody's like saying shit about oh, it <laughs> also, and this is, this is I'm sorry I didn't mean to cut you no, off no you're good is this the part where she's like looking at the website and she's like, oh, I guess I went shopping in Shibuya. Yeah, that's so or, sad. Or Harajuku or whatever. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> My heart fucking breaks for her when she says that. She's just checked out so much to the point that she doesn't even remember what she's done that day. <laughs> you know yeah. what I thought of? And this is such a cheesy thing to think of or whatever, but like I thought of Britney Spears. Oh, wow. Oh, you know absolutely. What? I can see the parallels with this big time. God, like, and, you know, I'm not one of these people who's like, oh, you know, like, I don't know, like, Britney Spears is cool. She's always been cool. Like, I don't know her personal life or anything, but like, when they like when she actually started speaking about all of the things that were going on, I remember thinking like, Jesus, like, mm-hmm. that is such a fucking nightmare. And that yeah. sounds so awful. And then in rewatching this, it's all I could make the comparison to. And then what I think is really heartbreaking about Britney Spears is now that she's finally, finally had her conservatorship ended. And she's kind of, I mean, she's still not doing great. No. Um, no. And it's, a, it's very public. Forever. But the really fucked up thing about it is there are people saying like, oh, well, maybe she does need somebody looking after her. And I'm like, no, we just... We just talked about why her conservatorship was a bad thing. She's got people that are so ready to exploit her. It's yeah. almost a lose-lose. Yeah. Yeah, she's she's had a lot of shit thrown her way. Okay. Okay, so um, the photographer is now at home, and uh, he has ordered some pizza. So he goes up to get this. the pizza whenever he, um, he opens the door. He's like, you're a weird pizza guy. Yeah. Like, what? He's like, yeah, you know what? I am weird. Because he takes the screwdriver and shoves it right in his eye. Well, because he drops the pizza. Yeah. Like, he drops it onto the floor. So he's like, oh, that's weird. Like, you're weird. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So that turns into, like, a whole murder scene. It's so fucking brutal. I do like that they show this whole thing go down, though. And then the next day, we got Mima waking up in bed, same position for like the fourth time, mm-hmm. and she finds bloody clothes in the closet, 
and she gets the call that the reporter was stabbed or the photographer was stabbed and that she needs to stay in her house until the managers can come pick her up. And there's reporters at the door, like begging for her like soundbite. Yeah. That claustrophobia of her tiny ass apartment to really that's where it sets in for me is when they were all outside and she's in her tiny little place. Yeah. I was reading too. Um, I didn't really pay super close attention, but apparently like as the movie goes on, her room becomes more cluttered and messy. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so now she's uh, her character in the show is a killer, and she's filming her murder scene now. So yeah. she's killing somebody. Yeah. So we're getting kind of for a minute. I thought we were gonna go towards the this is all in her head thing because it's they shoot it saying, oh, she thinks she's an up and coming pop star mm-hmm. named Mima, but she's turned into an actress. But then the scene starts over, and it's using the characters' names, and instead of um. Mima, it's like whatever the character's name character, is, and she's yeah. an up and coming model, and saying that all um, her experience with fame was just a way for her to cope with the sexual assault that happened in the strip club. Isn't it crazy that they like use her actor name in this scene here? Like, that's like really winking at the audience there. Like, yeah, this is the. Well, idol. no, I because th- we see the scene twice, and I think it's meant to make us think that what actually happened was Mima was never a pop star or an actress. She's just some person who was attacked and had a psychotic break. Um, but then the movie keeps going, and that's not what happened. Yeah, it's yeah, just him playing yeah. tricks on us again. Yeah. 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 But yeah, e- either way, it's a... Uh, it's, it's fucking with your head hard yeah. here. Like it, it's so hard to talk about like all of this like going back and forth. It's something that you really just have to watch because like yeah. it's just you're like you're processing it and while you're processing it, it just like throws it to something else, like right in the middle of that, and you're just your brain can't catch up. Like, it's, it's a just... little bit easier the second time around. Yeah. But like yeah. even still, I was like, wait, what's happening? and try to write notes for this was a goddamn oh, nightmare. Not only because it's like we were we didn't watch the dub version of this. We yeah, watched we watched the, the subtitled. subtitled. Yeah, same. Yeah. Same. This much like much like Akira, this is very much an experiential uh yeah. movie. Mm-hmm. You know, like Akira's pro- maybe a little more linear and it's a little maybe a little easier to understand, but like it's still experiential in the same way that Perfect Blue is. And I think that's why a lot of people are like, yeah, that's the Citizen Kane and Godfather of anime are these two, you know, um, yeah. just makes sense. Um, so now it's time for the rap party and they tell Mima to go get dressed, except while she is getting changed for the rap party, the stalker attacks her and they fight. Yeah. And... The stalker thinks that it's the impersonator because Mima's, Mima's room has been sending like emails or whoever's running that has been sending emails to him just saying like, yes, like, there's an impersonator. They're the one that filmed the scene. You need to go over there and take care of them for me. So they fight. She ends up hitting him with a hammer. And afterwards. I love that. Uh, yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. I love when she fucking nails him with a hammer because I like that kind of brutality in things where it hits and it's not like a complete bloodbath or like it hits and then you have to process it for a second. It reminds me of that movie George Washington. If you've ever seen that, it's like a David Gordon mm-hmm. Green movie um, where like a little kid wearing a Halloween mask takes like a bump to the head, but it's like a little too hard and it ends up killing him. But yeah. he goes nuts right before it happens. Oof. It's so scary and so brutal. And this reminds me of that. Yeah. Like it reels it in. Like it doesn't go over the top with it. Like, it, like you have to like sit there with him while he's processing like, Oh shit, I got yeah. a hammer claw on the head. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. So for a second, it seems like 
it that was a show but yeah. then not really because she's in the hall and she's ragged and Rumi finds her and they try to look for the body but the body's gone and Rumi says she's going to drive her home. And I thought this was really interesting. So Mima is in the car and she's got her head up against the window. And normally, whenever we've seen her do this and she looks in the window, she sees the pop idol version of herself. Yeah. This time she sees the reflection of Rumi. Yes, I noticed that too. So she says, I'm going to take you back to Mima's room. <gasps> I know. <laughs> Mima wakes up and she's like this. Huh, she nice. tries to call Torakoro. Um, and we just, as the audience, see that he's also dead and his body is next to Mimania. Yeah. And then she kind of looks around the room and there's like pop stuff back on the wall and the fish are alive. And so she looks out the window and she goes, this is not my apartment. And Rumi comes out dressed in one of Mima's old pop costumes. Yeah, her cham outfit. Yeah. And she's the real Mima. Mm-hmm. And so they basically fight. They have this whole chase scene across Tokyo. Um, and it's supernatural-esque in what mm-hmm. we're seeing because we're seeing like Rumi's mind where she's just floating and jumping when really she's huffing and puffing. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of crazy though. I mean, like they're just scaling the building. She jumps off of the balcony onto the roof of another one and they're just kind of hopping roofs until they get to the bottom and then there they're on the sidewalk she gets stabbed by the umbrella Mm -hmm. by Rumi and then a couple times yeah she takes Rumi's wig off which causes Rumi to just snap as a result she falls into the window yeah and cuts herself on some glass this right here hit hard like just the fact that she's like she's freaking out and then as she's doing that she's having her tantrum she's just throwing her body around she accidentally throws her body right on top of one of the glass shards and it's like right on the jugular and then you have to like realize oh shit i just killed myself accidentally and so she runs out into the street and this truck is about to hit her except mima saves her Mm -hmm. and the people in the truck call um call the cops no call the ambulance yeah yeah no i got it it's fine um And then we cut to the hospital and the doctor's saying, I'm surprised that you're here. I know that you're super busy. Um, and Mima's visiting Rumi and she goes, well, I know that she'll never be the Rumi I once knew, but yeah, in she, some um, way I owe her where I am today. She ended up having the mental disorder that her character had in the show where she was, she just thought she was uh, Mima. So yeah. It was like a pop idol. Yeah. Dissociative identity disorder is yeah. what it is currently referred to mm-hmm. as, and it's often in misunderstood in media. So yeah, but yeah, so uh, Mima gets in her car and uh, she's like, "You know what? I'm I'm happy now." Yeah, well, and I like it because there's like two nurses or nursing assistants or whatever that are in the hall. And they're like, "Is that Mima?" And they're like, "No, she's wait- why would she be here?" And she goes, "Okay, yeah, you're right. Probably just a look like." Yeah. And Mima <laughs> looks in the mirror. She goes, "Nope, I'm yeah. real." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Da, 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 da. Yeah. Roll credits. <laughs> All right, and that's the end of the movie. Okay, so oh. after talking about it, you guys uh, feel comfortable with your scores, or do you want to change it any? Uh, I'm about mine to a nine two five. Nine two five. Mm-hmm. Well, look at you. Now you're doing the weird math. You know what? <laughs> I'm gonna bump mine to a nine five. Thanks, Whoa. Travis. Zingo. I can't go any higher than ten, right? So right. I'm, I'm gonna say the ten. Okay. okay. Let's let me do math again. If you could go higher, would you? Oh yeah. Okay. For sure, yeah. I don't. I so I'm like a I, yeah. You know, 
like the highest you can get in school is a 4.0. The highest you can get on your guys' rating scale is a 10. So I have to stick to that. Or um, I took AP classes in high school, and I actually graduated with a little bit over a 4.0. Oh, no. Nope. Then it's not real. <laughs> <laughs> Who am I? Yeah. <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> All right. Now she's having her own crisis. Okay, cool. Um, okay. Natalia. She was asleep because we started this late in the day after we were doing our landscaping. She had to supervise that. It was a very exhausting day for yeah, her. she had a big one. Um, but she was very active during the movie. Like, she had sleep barks and sleep runs. So She was doing her, um, she was hitting that good REM cycle whenever uh, the final chasing was happening. She was twitching her and I could see her face. And and she cuddled um, Hedgehogzilla. Yes, she um, did. So I, I think that means she was scared. So I think Talia gives this a nine. Nine. Okay. Yeah. Nice. And Zoe was laying on Talia's dog bed the entire time in the living room. So yep. she did watch this. Who did everybody relate to from this movie? Oh. Mm. I guess huh? I, I would say, I guess maybe Rumi for me. I feel bad. Like, I'm not trying to be like edgy and cool, but like, you know, the older I get, the more I see like younger people doing what I used to do or like, you know, it, not so much in the writing world, but more in like the teaching sphere. Mm -hmm. You know, I see that like hunger and that excitement in younger teachers that I wish I still had. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, would, I would say that I, I see that element of Rumi. I'm not completely fucking you know, obsessed with anybody though, like the way Rumi was obsessed with me. You gotta well, you like work on that, students. Robert. <laughs> so, but I guess I would say that, and also, but you know what? Also, I see myself in Mima too, because like honestly, I would do whatever it took to take my career to the next level. Yeah, I think I relate to Mima's uncle, who always buys like fifty copies of Chum's singles, <laughs> because yeah. I feel like that's what I try and do when um, there's people that I know and like and support, and I want to support them. And that's a little <laughs> over enthusiastic. <laughs> and uh, now we're sitting in a room filled with um, a testament to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I'm gonna relate to. Me mania for one reason. Oh boy! And that's because at the opening, whenever the little shits are causing a scene and just disrupting the <laughs> show. Like, hey man, I paid money to be here. Shut the fuck up! Yeah. Oh, by the way, we completely skipped over that there was like a news clipping of that kid being in critical condition in the hospital. Oh shit! I never made that connection that that was him. That was him. Yeah, it was the <gasps> illustration. Yeah, that kid. Oh. Like, oh wow. Yeah, so he ended up actually like seeking out that kid and fucked him up, and he's in the hospital. Okay, so he didn't need a fake Mima to tell him to like. No, he was fuck see, some shit up. Even if Rumi wasn't involved, this guy would have most likely done something terrible. Okay, damn. I mean, he okay. already did something terrible, but he would have like obsessed over Mima too hard. Um, but I wouldn't do that. I would just um, I would do what they did at the show and just throw shit at the kids. You know, <laughs> that, that it was effective. Next up, dream sequel. What would you guys like to see as a follow up to this movie? Ooh. Now, how would you do a dream sequel to this? Let's see. I would like to see hmm, maybe uh, one of the other members. Or okay, okay. Um, we have like a Spice World moment. 
So Mima reunites with Cham, and they have their own movie. So they're all getting a taste for acting now. And yeah, maybe, I don't know, maybe something happens with that. Okay, does Mima, is is she still acting? Is she a pop idol now? She's still acting. Maybe she's found some balance. She could be like, yeah, Maybe she releases a couple like solo singles. She doesn't have her caretakers there anymore, so she can now do what she wants to do. Yeah. So she's there as like a supporting character, but it follows the other two <gasps> members of Cham. Oh my goodness. Okay, so maybe she's doing that. She's still acting and singing, but she's also got her own agency that she runs that oh. is like focused on like actually <laughs> nourishing and listening to the young artists and trying to like provide helpful guidance. This isn't even a horror them. movie at this point. It's just like an uplifting. Yeah, like, here, like, like we're doing good now. Lifetime. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mark. Um, okay. <laughs> I love that. I like that idea. I <laughs> I, I go a different way. <laughs> oh, I would love uh, to hear what you would have to do as an actual I, uh, horror writer. <laughs> I would like to see um, Mima uh, continues acting and is successful, but her psychological damage is still there because of Rumi and everything that happened. And um, she buys kind of a large estate in the countryside because she is a successful actress. And... Um, you know, after the other two and Cham, their career is starting to go down a little bit. She invites them to the house and uh, they're immediately taken with Mima's white fluffy cat. But they also notice that there's some weird supernatural things happening in the house. And then the house is the house from house. And oh! <laughs> Mima just goes full, full witch um, in the uh, woods of Japan. Oh, my nice. God. I love this idea. Nice. <laughs> All right, so we got two good ones here. All right, so next up, new tagline. What's the new tagline that we can make for this movie? Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? Wait, isn't that one of them? Or... Yeah. Oh, yeah, is it yeah. one of them? Yeah. Was, oh, I'm excuse sorry. Excuse me, who are you was the one, the second one that we had officially. Who are you yeah. would be a good one, okay. though. Let me think. Um, oh, that's that's tough. That's it, This is a tough, tough one to do tagline a tagline for. for. Taglines are yeah. very difficult. I, I don't know why we made this I a kind of want to... Play on like the Barbie tagline that's happening right now, and be like, "She's everything. He's just me mania." Oh, <laughs> she's everything. He's just me me mania. Yeah. What's the Barbie tagline? She's everything. He's just Ken. Oh, He's just Ken. okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. I like that. Yeah, that is a good one. I can't wait for Barbie, by the way. I know. I'm so, excited. so excited. Too. I don't even <laughs> oh. know why I'm excited. I've never been interested in Barbie in my, my life. My enthusiasm is uh, contagious. It's partly that, <laughs> but also like whenever I saw it, I was like, you know what? This looks intriguing. Yeah. I think it's yeah. the casting, too, honestly. That's Barbie, Meg 2, and The Flash. That's all I care about this year. <laughs> Internet review. Okay. So, What'd you pull for us? I found a critic review for this okay. one. Okay. And um, it's not favorable as is tradition for this since i knew that we were all in favor of this one what if i just like completely blindsided you and talked about how much i hated this movie i would be sad <laughs> <laughs> and that's it i would cancel the episode i'd just be like, robert we're not doing this <laughs> i should fuck this thing up okay so this is from film threat this was a review given back in 1999 um i don't have the full review because it's kind of lengthy but this is the main blurb that was pulled It's uh, what starts out as a fairly conventional and effective stalker drama with a cyber twist soon gets too cute with its dreams within dreams set pieces and shifting realities. It's kind of nifty at first, but Khan just keeps piling it on until you just roll your eyes. 
throw your hands up and scream, enough. Okay, listen. I'm a pre I'm a big critic of like dream within a dream within a dream within a dream. Mm-hmm. I've talked about this before. I think this is one of those cases where it's well done. It's well done here because like it I think the point is to confuse you like Mima is and it yes. is super successful at doing that. That being said, I understand the frustration with it. Yes, I can understand that totally. I think it works, but I can understand I can understand that. I don't think that it's meant to be like a device for them to have to avoid writing. I think it's actually really well done the way it is, but um I think yeah. so too. Like I mean, I yeah, I I don't have any issues with it at all, but I I mean like you said like if if you don't like being confused like that, like if you don't like having like cuz I mean there's so much of this movie that I just I still don't really know if it's real, like certain parts, certain scenes, but you know what? I like that. I like not knowing about that. Yeah. Um so listener reviews, I kind of put this out there a little bit later accidentally. We got sidetracked yesterday with a lot of things yeah. going on. Liriope looks like a lot of other plants that are actually toxic <laughs> yeah. to our animals. So yeah. it, it took a while at Lowe's. <laughs> yeah. So I do have one review that uh, somebody submitted on Instagram. It's from Ray Cartagena. He says, love how the lines between fantasy and reality board and the movie keeps you guessing. So there we go. We got somebody, two ends of the spectrum there. Somebody who didn't like the blurring of reality and this person right here that likes it. I think what's really telling when we do these reviews, and the whole point is that, you know, nobody's wrong about their horror opinion like you're not less of a true horror fan if you don't like a particular movie yeah um and i think what's really telling is that when we get those conflicting reviews that it really just comes down to this is not a type of movie i like yeah and i think that says a lot both in terms of how we are as fans that we can have a wide variety of things that interest us but also how wide the spectrum of horror really is I definitely agree. Yeah, I mean, like, people can appreciate it, and people can not appreciate it, but yeah. it all is just, like, catering to what you find appealing. Yeah. It all comes back to scream. Some <laughs> 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 people don't. <laughs> and no, those people like, are wrong. Just kidding. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it's true, though. Like, you, you know, everything you're saying is spot on. Like, you don't want to harsh anybody's happy. You know, like... If that's what you like, that's what you like, as long as you like the genre itself. And it's also about being open yeah. to different things, too, right? Like, I don't like comedy horror. I don't like comedy horror. But if my wife wants to watch the third Evil Dead one, uh, Army of Darkness, I'll watch that because it's awesome. Yeah. yeah. You know? Like, I'm not, I don't, and, you know, I, but is that one I'm going to seek out? No, but it, I'm not going to shit on it. And that's part of what we do every October. You know, like most nerds, um, we like to watch a different horror movie every night in October. Mm-hmm. Spookiest month of the year. Uh, but we take turns picking the movie. And we don't have veto power unless it's like a legit, like when I was in school, I would be like, you can't do something that's subtitled yeah. while I'm also working on a paper. It needs yeah. to be something I can like listen to. Um yeah. But that's generally what we do, and it it has exposed us to some new things, and we added in a new twist this past year where every other movie we chose was something we hadn't seen before. Yeah, new twists. Yeah. yeah, so, and I think that's kind of 
given us opportunities to see some of the movies that we would not have necessarily checked out otherwise. Jennifer's Body. I talked about this last week. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it doesn't work out well. <laughs> Mad God. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I get why people like it. Not our taste. Exactly. That's one movie that we don't <laughs> like, but I understand why people love it. I totally get it. I respect it. I will never watch it again. Nope. <laughs> yeah. I, there's, um, I feel the same way. Like, I, I'm like that with um, funny games. Everybody's oh. like, oh, funny games. <laughs> Michael Haneke is so brilliant. Oh, blah, blah, blah. Like, Jesus well, that's Christ. another like wink to the audience, though. And I'm kind of understanding that you don't yeah. necessarily <laughs> seem to like that. Yeah, just tell me a good story. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't need anybody trying to be clever and cute. You know, just tell a good fucking story. That's all I'm looking for with my movies or books or whatever. See, I like, uh, I think I like feeling like I'm part of an inside joke with it. I, get I, it. I think that's why I like it so much. Um, well, you know what? Speaking of uh, telling good stories, Robert, why don't you uh, let us know about your... Travis Wilson, what an Thank excellent you. segue. <laughs> um, please uh, remind us again of your latest release, The Vile Things. Uh, what was it again? The Vile Thing We Created. The Vile Thing We've Created, sorry. Yeah, The Vile Thing We Created. It's available wherever super shady uh, and reputable books are sold. It's popping up in bookstores that like I have had no contact or relation to. That's it's awesome. really strange. Like I, I literally, as soon as we started recording, my buddy Andy who's in Chicago sent me a text. He's like, hey, ding dong, look what's on the shelf of uh, Bucket of Blood Books, which is like their cool bookstore there. And there it was. I was like, holy shit, that's pretty cool. <laughs> you know what? So, if, we, if we see it here, I'm going to take a picture and show it to you. Oh, oh shit. dude, I love that. I never that. showed my picture of uh, 13 Slays Till Christmas. We ran oh, into yeah. that at Half Price Books. Yeah. So I'm going to start I'm gonna start looking for you in, in our various bookstore yeah. adventures. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, please. <laughs> like, uh, I love that stuff. I love seeing my book in places. Uh, but yeah, check it out. Leave a review on the Amazon. Uh, if you don't mind, it does help. It's shockingly helpful. Um, yes. Hear that, people? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right? Review, and that goes for all of us. All platforms. <laughs> yeah, please. For the love of God. <laughs> <sighs> okay, so um, next week, well, okay, first off, this weekend, we'll be having our To Be or Not To Be coming out, so look forward to that. That's Travis's pick. God help us my all. Pick, that's right. I pick good stuff. Thank uh, you. <laughs> um, after that, we got my next actual pick of what we're going to be covering, which we'll be talking about high tension next week. Fuck so, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Fucking amazing movie. I'm, I'm exhausted already. Oh, uh, yeah, baby. That's I, right. This, this is, we're going back to the classic format you know what, of one Travis loves and I'm not so hot about. We'll, we'll go to dubs for this one. romance, never hurt anybody. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Bussa in this case, I guess. You can make the comparison between Perfect Blue and that, though. You can make some some juicy uh, comparative material for sure. Uh, yeah. Definitely. It, these really lend well um, together. <laughs> yeah. Okay. The companion pieces. Okay. You um, can currently watch it for free a lot of places. It's on Tubi, Pluto TV, Redbox, Prime, Plex, and Freebie. If you have a primetime subscription to YouTube or a premium subscription to YouTube TV, you can watch it there. If you're subscribed to AMC+, Plus, you can watch it there, or you can rent it for $4 from Google Play or Voodoo. It's on at one point, also. It, Okay, I was going to say, at one point it was on Shutter. I don't know if it still was. Okay. Yeah. So you, if you got Shredder, you can watch it, baby. You have no idea how hard it was to track that movie down when it came out. I bought a bootleg of it at a convention. That's how hard it was to see and find. What did we? Was this a Hastings find for us? Um, I feel like it was Hastings. I think so. Yeah. Oh, R.I.P. Yeah. 
Yeah, high, high tension is awesome though. I I'm glad that whenever it, it like it must have become available around the time that I was like getting hungry for this type of movie, and it hit. And boy, does it fucking go! So <laughs> that trailer though, man, with the uh, Carpenters song cover, oof, mm-hmm. so good. All right. Until then, you can find us on our social media. Mm-hmm. Um, Instagram's least favorite scary movie podcast. Our Twitter's least fave pod. And our website's what's your least favorite scary movie.com. You can email us at least favorite scary movie at gmail.com. Um, as a reminder, through the jump month of June, all of our Patreon proceeds will go towards the Trevor Project. And Robert made his very generous offer that um, if you choose to make an independent donation, person with the highest donation at the end of month he will send free signed books yes that are gonna be super valuable someday um yeah. i like i'm not meaning that sarcastically like you're popping up in bookstores it's a great thing yeah no it's good <laughs> like, we have one of your books here yeah today. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> um and you would also be joining the cool kids club of eric and vivi of shaken not scared mm-hmm. joe Freak-a-tron. as is his full name Amber and Michael. Yes. Uh, thank you guys for being our patron supporters. And uh, I guess as a result of being patrons supporting the Trevor Project, with yes. your donation that will be going out there this uh, month. Also, in the comments, or not in the comments, in the show notes, we'll have Robert's, a link to Robert's new book. And mm-hmm. also, Robert, if you want, we can throw up where to find you on yeah. the internet also. The social media, yeah. if yeah. you will. Yeah, please um, do share it. Share all the things because that's uh, you know. So you don't, you guys don't have to take the full brunt of the, the DMs of uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> donation pictures or whatever. Uh, okay, all right. So that's it for this week's episode. Thanks for coming on again, Robert. We love having you on here. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it, and I hope you guys have uh, a great rest of your weekend. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. You too. All right. Until next time, everybody. Bye. Bye. Boom. All right. Oh, oh, it's it's